0: Hey, everyone, this is T-Roll, the host of the Campus Outreach Podcast. We're taking a break from our normal podcasts over the summer, and instead, we'll be posting audio versions of various talks that were given at our Beach Project from earlier this summer. If you are interested in viewing the video form of the following message, please go to cobirmingham.org forward slash campus talks to find all of our talks from this year's Beach Project. Thanks so much and enjoy today's talk. chapters. It starts with God's creation. We move to man's fall. Then there was the promise of the Old Testament. And I got pulled me aside. During the break he says it it sounded like during that last talk you went through the gospel. That's exactly right. We looked at the chapter. Chapter four was on redemption that Jesus accomplishes. So now we're moving to chapter five which would be the church. So we're going to pick up Right where we left off. So, if you remember where we left off, we said Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then he spends 40 days on earth in his resurrected body with his disciples. Now, what was Jesus' public ministry about? There was one message that he was repeating over and over again. It was called the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And in Jesus' resurrected form, what do you think he's talking about day and night? He's talking about the gospel. He's teaching about the kingdom. He's teaching about the kingdom. And every time that Jesus teaches about the kingdom, the disciples, when they hear the good news, their hearts burn, and they're actually overwhelmed with joy. In fact, they get so excited that they think that the end of history is near, and they start asking, Lord, at this time, okay, are you going to inaugurate the kingdom? And so, I want to give you just some deep theological truth about this concept, this term, the kingdom of God. I want to give you one phrase, this is worth writing down. The kingdom of God is already but not yet. You with me? The kingdom of God is already but not yet. Let me explain that. The kingdom of God is like engagement. So just think about it this way: about eight years ago, I hit a knee and I put a ring, okay, on my wife's my wife's hand. You'll meet my family. I think they're coming down here on Sunday. I got a wife, two kids. But on that day, I was expressing my commitment, my covenant love. I'm saying, baby, let's get married, right? That's what the engagement ring does. And yet, as, much, as committed as I was to her that day, on the day of my proposal, there's a greater intimacy and there's a deeper relationship that we are yet to experience, and we would on what day? Our wedding day. Does that make sense? The engagement is already, but not yet, of romantic love you're into politics, you can think about the most recent election, President Biden wins the election, and yet he doesn't actually become president until what day? Inauguration day. That's when his party, his platform, all right, his procedures actually come into effect. If some of you guys are historians, you're World War II historians, you've probably heard about this day, June 6, 1944. Anybody know that day? It's what? D-Day. This is Sagan, Private Ryan if you remember, the Allied forces, they stormed the beaches of Normandy. And on that day, essentially, we win the war. Okay, Hitler's, his fate is sealed, the Nazi party uh, is overturned, it's the turning point of the war, and yet what happens next? The Allied forces, they continue to fight, and they go from France to Belgium to Germany. In fact, the war goes on in Europe for 11 more months, until what day? V-E day, that's victory in Europe day. The point is this, okay, the cross was like D-Day. The cross was, on, was D-Day when Jesus, once and for all, defeats sin. And yet, there is a greater victory, there is a final victory that awaits in the future. So Jesus has won the war over sin, Satan, and death, and yet what? The battle rages. And this is where we come in, because we're actually on the offensive because Jesus enlists his followers to be his what? His soldiers. And so now is the time for the soldiers of Jesus to take up the good news of the gospel and take it where? To every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. In fact, Jesus gives one final speech before he ascends into heaven. Let's go to the next slide. And he says this, and he, he's almost channeling, this is, this is almost like a farewell speech. That a coach might give before he retires. That, that, that a general or commander might give before they go into battle. Jesus says this to his people, his church. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Here are the marching orders, soldiers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I will be, be with you always until the end of the age. You see this, we're on the offensive. And after 40 days, after Jesus issues this command, we call it the Great Commission, Jesus ascends into heaven. You know where Jesus is now? He is seated on a throne at the right hand of God the Father. Now, how many of you are actually wondering, what does that mean? I've heard people say that Jesus is seated that he's on the throne, what does that that exactly mean? Because think about it, I said this earlier, Jesus is a 33-year-old single man, okay? When you think about a 33-year-old single man just seated, what what do you picture in mind? I think about like Cheeto dust on my shirt, you know, bottles of Mellow Yellow, and an Xbox controller on my couch, right? Is that what Jesus is doing? Is this just failure to launch, delayed adolescence? Is he just chilling up there? Well, here's what it means. Hebrews 12, 2 says that after Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, he is now seated at the right hand of God. In beach projects past, we used to work jobs, and they were tough jobs. Golf courses, Walmart, Chick-fil-A, and you would grind for like nine or ten hours, and then you'd come home to your room, and after a long day's work, what do you want to do? You just want to take a seat, right? Right? on my couch, on my bed, on my futon. So do you see what this means, what this symbolizes? When Jesus says I'm seated, he's saying my greatest work has been complete. It's over. It's finished. I was given one task, one responsibility, and I did it. I lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. But if Jesus isn't seated on a futon, he's on a what? He's on a throne. That means he's ruling. He has dominion over this universe. So even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, a contentious election, racial tension, a volatile stock market, who is in control? Jesus is. He's on the throne maintaining authority. And so the gospel is on the move through Jesus, through his church, and through his spirit. And here's how the gospel moves. It starts in Jerusalem. It starts moving through Rome. So for those of you who want to know, this is primarily found in the book of Acts, and we're about to move into some different letters And the New Testament. Show this at this time, Jesus has 120 followers. That's about a third of this room. There are 120 Christ followers, and they primarily live in Jerusalem. And guess what they devote themselves to? Reading and studying the Word of God. And let me just tell you this at that time, guess what their Bible was? There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It was simply what? The Old Testament. This is why we emphasize the Old Testament because that's all the early church had, that's all the apostles had, that's all Jesus read, meditated, and preached. It was the good news: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so these people they start waiting for the Holy Spirit. And ten days later, there's a famous day. It's called Pentecost. And out of nowhere, there's a rush of wind and there are tongues of fire. Do you remember what Owen mentioned yesterday? What fire symbolizes or represents? It represents what? The presence of a holy God. In the Old Testament, the presence of a holy God was only found where? In the tabernacle. But now, following the ascension of Jesus, the fire of God, His very presence, it's not in a building, it's where? It's on every believer. We receive the holy presence of God through His Holy Spirit. And this leads to bold witness. And so now, all of a sudden, these 120 people, they start preaching and proclaiming. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And over and over again, they start repeating messages like this. Jesus was the promised Savior. He was the goat. He was the Messiah. Jesus restored all things through his death and resurrection. Jesus, he is the Savior and Lord of all nations. They run from city to city, home to home, saying things like this. Through Jesus alone, we can be forgiven and made right with God. Therefore, everyone, all people should repent and believe the good news. And a radical transformation occurs. Remember Peter? What was said about Peter yesterday? He was famous for what? Denying Jesus three times. Being a coward. Betraying Jesus in his need of hour. And on the day of Pentecost, guess what cowardly Peter does? The presence of God rests upon him, and he stands before a crowd of 3,000 people, and he proclaims the good news of the gospel. And so this community, this group of believers, let's go to the next slide. They start, let's go to the, oh, let's just stay right there. All right, they start waiting upon Jesus. Excuse me, waiting upon the Spirit, and it says this, that they wait upon the Holy Spirit, and they become Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem, that's the city they live in. Judea, that's the surrounding territory, and in the ends of the earth. And that word witness is very important, that's a legal word in our day and age. So when you bear witness, that means you saw it happen. You experienced it, you're an eye witness. A witness can never take the stand and say what? What I heard from my brother, sister, second cousin, right? Or I saw this on Twitter. Or here's just a rumor or hearsay. No, a witness experiences something and they have a legal obligation. They're compelled to share their side of the story. Well, that's who you are. That's who I am. We've been changed by Jesus and now we are obligated to what? To bear witness to the good news of the kingdom. And so this group of people, that came to be called the way. We call them today the church. This is the family of God. The word church literally means the chosen ...or called out ones of God. And they started gathering in homes on Sundays... ...because this was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And they devote themselves to scriptures. And they start praying to Jesus. They start reading about Jesus. They start talking about Jesus. They start singing about Jesus. Does this sound familiar? Okay, campus outreach, alright... ...Beach Project has been going on for thousands of years. And in fact, they start talking so much about Jesus that people in the surrounding communities, they start calling them what? Christians. Little Jesuses. Little Christ. Because He's all you think about. He's all you talk about. He's the only person you pray to. You're like a little Jesus. And the Holy Spirit starts to work. And the book of Acts says that they, were, they added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. But guess what? Soon persecution breaks out. And the disciples scatter. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And guess what they take with them? They take the good news of the kingdom. And they start talking about Jesus. And now disciples start to gather in new local churches. And eventually the news gets out to a city called Antioch. Now Antioch was different than Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was composed primarily of Jews and Israelites. Antioch was Gentile. Gentile means non jew and the Gentiles begin to believe. Now, here's why this is important, just so you can understand. There was real racial animosity between Jews and Gentiles. Okay? America did not invent or create ethnic prejudice. Okay? This is an old story. And the primary beef or prejudice in the ancient Near East was between Jews and Gentiles. How, how many of you this morning, before you shut your Bible, said a little prayer to God? Okay? We don't have to do show of hands. Do you know that in the ancient Near East, a Jewish male would repeat this prayer each and every day? It was a prayer of thanksgiving. Who who likes thanking God each and every morning? Here's how Jewish males would thank God. They would say, God, thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. Thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. And thank you that I'm free and not a slave. And guess what we read in in Galatians 3? That in Jesus Christ, there's what? Neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's no, neither free nor slave. Does that sound familiar? Because we are one in Jesus Christ. And do you see what the gospel does? It starts transforming lives, but also cities and societies. And this is the turning point in the church. This is the turning point in the people of God because it becomes a multi-ethnic family. The church is a mixed family. God is glorified by diversity. Jews and Gentiles start worshiping together. And this actually fulfills a prophecy that God gave to his people long ago. Read with me right here. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is a promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. So now the nations are being blessed. The Gentiles in Antioch are being blessed. So there's local churches all across the empire and beyond. And they start establishing leaders. At first, these leaders are called apostles. These were the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, excluding Judas, and they were all commissioned by Jesus. They all saw the resurrected Jesus, and they're given the power of the Holy Spirit to start writing letters to the church. And they start instructing and teaching the church how to be faithful to King Jesus. So this is the part of the Bible like Romans. 1 and 2 Corinthians, all the Eans, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians. First and 2 Peter. We're studying 2 Timothy. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And they start answering questions, correcting errors, and redirecting them back to Jesus and to his mission. And so the gospel is on the move. It goes from Jerusalem to where? To Rome. And the second movement would be it goes from Rome to all the nations. Rome to all the nations. And so the good news starts to spread from place to place, ethnic group to ethnic group, generation to generation, and then to now, the family of God continues to grow until eventually the gospel makes it to where? To Rome, Georgia, to Troy, Alabama, to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And the Holy Spirit is still at work applying the word of God to the people of God. And so the church goes on today. We are a continuation of this story. Do you see this? And we strive together by the power of the Holy Spirit to fight sin and live lives that honor God. And so this is where we're going to wrap it up. I told you it's going to be quick. So, so far as the church, as followers of Christ, we're going to look in three directions. So first off, we look back to the first talk, back to creation And remember this, what was God's original intent for creation, for Adam and Eve, that we would what? Love Him, serve Him, obey Him, and make Him known. We embody that original design. But second, we look forward, we look ahead to restoration, and this is what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Because the story's not done, there's one more chapter. And it's called restoration. So tomorrow morning we're going to look at the book of Revelations, and we're going to see how Jesus is coming back. And he's going to make everything right. And all human history is moving toward a fully restored community under God. But here's what I want to leave you with. As followers of Jesus today, where should we look? We need to look out. We need to look out to the nations. Because God has made us his ambassadors. His ambassadors. you ever heard that word before? It's a political word. It's a government word. But our nation has ambassadors to foreign nations. You with me? so I could become the ambassador to the Ukraine, the ambassador to Russia. Now can you imagine, anybody here like gearing for a big internship this summer? Can you imagine out of the blue, you go to check your cell phone after this talk, and you have got a voicemail you know, from President Biden himself, and he says, I have chosen you. Papa Joe has selected you to be his ambassador okay, to Nigeria. Now, if you got a voicemail like that, what would you think? You would say, what in the world? I got a 2.2 GPA, right? I'm just trying to get my sports management major. I, I, it's going to take me six years to get out of here. Why was I chosen, right? So there would be confusion, but immediately that would give way to what? To honor, to respect. Can you believe it? You've got to listen to this. You've got to read this. You've got to hear this. I was chosen by the leader of the free world. To represent my nation, my country, my people to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, guess what? The God of the universe, the king of all kings has chosen you. He says, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to represent me through your words, through your deeds. Do you know this? That you're God's ambassador to the Greer family. To Sigma Chi. To Phi Mu to the Downs dormitory, to your hometown, to your workplace, to your teammates, to your locker room, to the linebackers, to the forwards. God has chosen you and no other young man, no other young woman will do. And he has placed you in these organizations, these groups, these hometowns, these family units, amongst these roommates so that you would represent him with your words and your deeds. See, Jesus' mission is our mission. We have the same mission but guess what? We have the same spirit as Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 3:16, "Do you not know that your body is a temple and that Christ's spirit dwells within you?" And so this is our task as we look outward, to gather people from every tongue, tribe, and nation so that Jesus would reconcile all things to himself. And this is what's so cool. This is God's calling card. God loves working through imperfect people. I'll show you a quick quick picture before we wrap it up. This is my son right here. This is Jake. This is actually my mom right here. Uh, And Jake is actually going to celebrate his second birthday on Beach Project next week. So, anybody want to have a hype two year old birthday? So, recently we just moved to a new house and we got a big front yard, so I had to get this big lawnmower. And Jake is a boy after my my own heart, and so he decided, I need a lawnmower. So his grandmother was here, and she got him a little John Deere push lawnmower. Okay, it's for a two-year-old, so it doesn't have a blade, okay? But but guess what happens? When the grass gets long and Daddy goes to cut his grass, what what do you think Jake does? Okay, he lugs that green plastic lawnmower onto the front yard, and he just wants to push it around because he wants to work with Daddy, okay? Now, here's the thing. Do do you think my two-year-old son... Is expediting my grass cutting? Do, do you think when I see him walk through the door, I say, Yes, free labor. This is going to save me hours. <laughs> do you think I th- think to myself, If he doesn't come out here, I'll never get this done? No, if anything, with my, my son with his plastic Lombard, he slows things down, right? Because I got to turn off the zero turn. I got to come alongside him, and we got to walk up and down the stripes as he pretends to cut grass. But you know what? I don't do it begrudgingly. I don't do it because I have to. I want to join him. Because what do I get to experience with my boy? Okay? I I, I get to work with my son. And this is the family business. And you see what God is saying with this ambassador? He's saying, look, I don't need you, but I want you. And I'm inviting you to join the family business. And you might be jacked up. And there might be problems and issues in your life. You might not feel like I'm ready for this, but come with me. And it might be inefficient, and you might slow me down, but I'm inviting you to join the family business, to make me known to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so this is it. This is the task of the church. God continues to work with imperfect people. God continues to work with imperfect college students who love Jesus and want to stay faithful with Him. That's what the next two weeks is going to be all about, okay? So we're we're, we're going to wrap it up right here. Let's go to the next slide. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Um, There we go. It's like a meme now. Uh, (laughs) See if that goes viral. Uh, We we don't have time. We're going to get you to lunch. But if you wanted one passage, uh, just as a small group or individually, if you want to go deeper in this idea of what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ, I'd encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. Think about it. Meditate on it. Be good for your soul. Tomorrow we're going to come back and look at the final chapter, chapter 6, when Jesus returns.